talking just a little bit about Holy Spirit or Spirit-filled credibility. And the lesson had to deal with um, uh, making sure that our integrity and our character was such that we didn't ruin our credibility and our our walk with the Lord as people would begin to evaluate and and look upon our lives. And we want to, don't we, give a a solid representation of the Spirit-filled life. Can the house say amen? Come on, we... We are bearing witness to the things of the Spirit. And so we want to give a solid, credible representation of uh, who He is and what He does in our life. And so I spent a a good amount of time just dealing with areas of deficiency and lack. However, in order to get the whole picture, and you do know Pastor Baird wants you to get the whole scoop. We, We preach the whole counsel of God. I'm just not going to give you the dessert verses, although I, I, I like the dessert verses, don't you? Give me, give me a little word cheesecake, baby, and I'll, I love that. Now, I don't always like, you know, the Brussels sprout word. I can't say that that's always my favorite, but you need it in order to be fully equipped. And so last week we, we dealt with some things about our credibility. Uh, I, I, I use the term gig, I, I sort of gig the spirit-filled crew because that's who we are that we need to make sure we don't look goofy to the world that we're walking in integrity and that we're a solid christian witness but this week i want you to know that the holy spirit is alive and well and it he is indispensable to our christian walk indispensable to our christian victory and so i want you guys if you would in the back flash on the screen again uh, i i'm just i put our 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 vision statement it's the one i keep in front of me that I want to just remind you of, and we've been doing this the last few weeks, and that is that our heart here is to be a credible, everyone say credible, sure, credible, spirit-empowered church. Everyone say spirit-empowered. I want to be spirit-empowered. I trust you want to be spirit-empowered as well in order to do the work that God has put before us to do. And today's message, last week was spirit-filled credibility. This week I want to talk about spirit-filled sensitivity. And can I just tell you that as I was scratching out the notes for this weekend, that the Spirit of God began to really just be renewed on my person. And as we were worshiping here this morning, I don't know about you, but I sensed His presence here. You say, well, I didn't sense anything. Well, maybe your wood's wet. And we just need a little bit more fire on that. And get that dried out and his presence will come again. Because he wants us to be sensitive to his presence. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read to you just a quick passage from the Old Testament in the book of Judges. And then I want to jump over to the second chapter of Luke. So turn to the book of Judges. It's, it's uh, Joshua Judges. Chapter 16, most of you will have heard of this gentleman. His name is Samson. Samson was an incredibly gifted, powerful judge in Israel. He did things that would blow your mind out of the power of God. But he had some credibility issues as well. And in Judges 16, there's an interesting passage here concerning Samson, beginning with verse 18. It's actually the passage... Where, where his character finally catches up with him. And uh, God doesn't come through. 
And listen to what the Bible says. He's with Delilah. You know the story. He's been, he's been messing around with Delilah. And all of a sudden, it comes back to catch him. In verse 18, it says this, chapter 16 of Judges. It says, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. In other words, he had spilled some secrets that he was not supposed to share. But when she saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. So all of a sudden he crossed this line. His strength had left him. And in verse 20 she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, now this is interesting, I will go out as before. It's always interesting to me how when you live a certain way or live out of a certain habit, you always assume that what you've always done will always work. But now all of a sudden the day has arrived where a line has been crossed. What he got away with in the past, he was fixing not to get away with anymore. And so he says, I will go out as before as other times and shake myself free. He says, I know how this works. I'm going to go out and do what I always do. I always get away with it. One more time I'll get away with it. But listen to what it says. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Isn't that, that just, that's, that's like a, an awesome, burdensome passage there. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. I want to read you just another passage that at first glance you'll say, what do these two things have to do with each other? Well, you'll find out in just a moment. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41 we are early in Jesus' life. He is coming into his teenage years. It's a familiar passage as well, but I want to read it to you so you can hear exactly what's being said. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 41, it says this. His parents, meaning Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, meaning Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. Okay, you know the story. They've, they've lost the Lord. Verse 44, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement he spoke to them. And it says in verse uh, 51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now, 
these two accounts that I've read to you that seem at first glance totally unrelated, but in reality, it's going to underscore something that I really want us to get into our heart, into our spirit today, and it's this. The presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord can be missing from your life and you not know it. Now, if you don't get anything else this morning, but that one phrase, that's an important one. Because Samson, Samson experienced a moment when the presence of the Lord was no longer with him, and the Bible says he did not know it. Here with Joseph and Mary, they go off in this this caravan back home, and, and the presence of their son was not with them, and they did not know it. Now, the reasons his presence were gone in both of these instances, were certainly different. But make no mistake, you can be as characterless as a Samson or as righteous as a Mary and Joseph, and the presence of God can still be missing. Now, last week, as I talked to you, I started to think about it as I was preparing for this week. Uh, I, I was thinking about what I'd shared. I was looking at the story of Samson. And I said to myself, you know, I wish I'd have run across this passage a little earlier. I might have used it because in some ways, the era in which we live in, I would call a Samson era. I think in a lot of, a lot of sectors, we have a Samson church. I really believe that. I mean, a church that says it's full of the spirit. It's done great exploits, won great victories. You know what's interesting to me? When you look at Samson, you can see quickly in Samson's life that his character was spinning down the tubes, maybe slowly, maybe quickly, but it was spinning in the wrong direction, and yet God allowed Samson to look good for a season. It's interesting, Samson was moving out of the power of God. He had the strength of God going on in his life, and yet at the same time, he was violating all kinds of scripture. He was not keeping the convictions that he had and and the commitments that the Lord asked of him to make. And, And for a season in Samson's life, it appears as if he gets away with it. But then all of a sudden there comes this moment in Samson's life that he finds himself in bed with a strange person. And he's sleeping with the ways of the Philistines. And a moment comes when it matters the most And he finds out at that moment when it matters the most that the Lord is not with him. You see, I just just think it's easy at a number of levels to see why God's presence would leave a guy like Samson. See, this is pretty easy, and I think to most Christians it's probably easy to make this connection. Samson is losing his character, he's losing losing, uh, uh, his passion, he's losing his... His ability to keep his commitments, he's compromising. And and so it's relatively easy to see how we could hammer Samson, or people like Samson, or even a church like Samson. It's easy to see how we could hammer that and, and say, yeah, that's right, it probably needs to be addressed. And we all, it makes sense to us that God would leave a situation like that. And so for us who are maybe endeavoring to be righteous, And and let me just say, there are some that may be self-righteous. It's easy to look at Samson and what happened to Samson and say to ourselves, well, you know what, that's not me. You know, I'm not doing what Samson did. I'm I'm not like Samson. So I'm, I'm just glad that's not my story. And that's when the presence of the Lord began to work on me. 
You see, that is when I felt the Lord leading me to the story of Joseph and Mary. It seemed as if the Lord was saying, I know you're not a Samson. I, I know legacy, by and large, is not filled with Samson people. In fact, it's not the heart of this church or this ministry to even get close to something that would resemble a Samson. And I was sitting there going, thank you, Lord. I, you know, you always like to be affirmed. But listen, you can be as righteous as a Joseph or a Mary, and you can still lose the presence of the Lord. You see, if you're a Samson, we can hammer you, and we can talk about your character, we can talk about your life, and we could tell you God has left the building, man. You can't, you can't live that way and think that somehow God's going to hang around. But the, but the problem with us isn't so much the Samson. It's, it's maybe the Joseph and the Mary. Now, I want you to think about Joseph and Mary for just a moment. Think about their character. Think about what Joseph did as a man when he had opportunity to throw stones, but he didn't throw stones when he found out that his wife was pregnant and it wasn't him. Think about how he tried to cover her in love and protect her reputation. Think about what it took for Mary to even receive the dealings of God at that level in the culture they were in. Think about how they were obedient to the Lord in the census and all the things they did to handle the birth of Jesus. You think about their character. I mean, when it comes to Joseph and a Mary, I mean, these guys weren't just talking it, they were walking it. And it's interesting that here they are filled with character. These are people that God used greatly, maybe the most greatly used people that will ever show up on the scene. And the Bible tells us that there was a moment in their life that they found out that, that, that the Lord was not with them. They thought he was with them, but he wasn't with them. And we need to just hear this morning when it comes to spirit-filled sensitivity that we can be doing the right stuff and we can be filled with great character and doing great exploits. But there can come a moment if we don't understand what's going on that the Lord, much like Elvis, has left the building. Are you following me? That's why the, the Apostle Paul wrote to several churches and he said, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he said to the church, he said, do not quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. In Ephesians 4 and 30, it says, don't grieve the Spirit. I think it's important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is quenchable, He is grievable, and He is resistible. If you don't want God messing in your life, I will assure you there'll come a moment when He'll say, okay, I won't mess with you anymore. And I understand as I read to you the story of, of Joseph and Mary and the young boy Jesus, I understand, don't come up to me with your Bible open and say, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, Pastor. Listen, I understand that. I'm using this as a springboard to try to get a precept into you. I, I, how many of you know that the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus to us? I mean, you understand the Holy Spirit is the administrator right now in the earth of the Godhead. Everything that Jesus did on the cross, everything that he provided for us, everything that God has promised to us by way of promises and blessing, it won't get to you unless it comes by the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is the most amazing thing because the Holy Spirit is God and because he's eternal, that means he's timeless. This is cool. and You've heard me say this before. He can literally on what's today, September the 20th, Sept Sunday, September the 20th, 2009, the Holy Spirit can come to this place. And literally, 
because he's timeless and in a timeless realm, he can rush back to Golgotha's hill and he can, he can uh, in, in a spiritual sense, begin to pick up the blood and to begin to one more time energize the story and, and the facts of the cross and he can carry them up to Legacy Church, September the 20th, 2009. And he can see people who are hungry and thirsty. They're looking for healing. They're looking for deliverance. They're looking for salvation. They're looking for hope and joy. They're trying to get perspective. And you come maybe to the altar. And the Holy Spirit, His presence comes. And He just dumps it on you. And it will be as powerful this morning as it was that day. Not one Stitch of difference. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Not only that, listen. He can move back to that day of Pentecost. Where they gathered in an upper room. And they prayed and they sought God. And they did all the things in obedience to the word of the Lord. Until the day finally came when there was a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And the Holy Spirit can go back. And he can pick up the power of that upper room. And he can come to Legacy Church, September the 20th, 2009, where people might cry out for Pentecostal power in order to overcome and press through and find the victory. And the Holy Ghost can just dump it on us. And it will be as fresh today as it was in that upper room in Jerusalem. Is that not cool? But Paul says this, he says... But your responsibility is not to quench Him. Don't grieve Him. Because you can go about your business. You could even be a Mary and a Joseph. And you could just be doing what you do. And the Lord might not be with you. Now in this particular passage, and the event here in Luke chapter 2 is probably... Uh, I'm told, perhaps Jesus bar mitzvah. It, it probably was the time when he was transitioning from being a, a child into a man. The scripture tells us it was the Passover feast as well. And so we have lots of people coming from all over Israel, Judea, in order to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. And I suspect because there were so many people there, it would have been easy to have lost your child. And, uh, you know, it, they didn't have amber alerts on the road to Jerusalem. You know, they couldn't flash a sign that said, you know, Jesus of Nazareth miss, missing. Look for a brown camel. You know, last scene. You know, it just, that didn't, that's not how it worked in those days. And so here Mary and Joseph are. They're in, they're in this uh, group. They're actually in this convoy that's going back to Nazareth. And so they're a day down the road. Can you imagine this? I started thinking about this. They're a day down the road before it dawns on them that Jesus isn't in the caravan. Now, I'm sure if, if you're a parent, you would probably be able to identify this. How, how would you feel at that moment? You would be scared. You'd be probably a little irritated maybe. Probably scared first. And then once you found him, you'd be irritated. But, but you'd have all of these feelings going through you at that particular moment, and you're a day's journey away from where you last saw him. And I just started to ask myself the question, how, how, how did they lose this? How did they lose his presence? 
And I think it will tell us a lot about how we need to, to keep the presence of God in our life and on our life and, and not lose it. But if we can learn how not to lose him, maybe we'll know better how to solicit him and to keep his presence amongst us. Have you ever watched a, a TV alert or a newscast about missing children? And the first thing, I don't know how it works at your house, but this is how it kind of works at our house. We hear this story. They begin to give you the details of the missing child. I understand there could be a hundred different reasons, but the first thing that pops out of me is, where are the parents? I mean, here's this three-year-old that's lost, and they interview, you know, mom, dad, uncle, cousin, some babysitter, or whoever, and the first thing that hits me is, where are the parents? What are they thinking how can they lose a kid? I mean, it's not like, you know, it's, it's not like you're losing, you know, your cell phone or, you know, you left your checkbook out. I mean, this is, this is, your, this is your blood here. This is your flesh and blood. And, and they'll interview these people, and oftentimes you'll hear them say these words. Well, we assumed they were with, we assumed they were, you just fill in the blank. And so there's assumptions that are made, and that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. It says in verse 44 here, it says, but supposing him. It says they assumed he was where he always would be. Now, I just want to share with you just a couple of things. Again, it spoke to me. If it doesn't speak to you, well, I guess, you know, you can file it away. It probably will someday. But I started thinking about ways we assume that God's presence must be with us. Ways we assume God's presence must be with us. And of course, I'm a pastor, and so I not only think on a personal level with regards to my own personal life, which is what I'm sure many of you would do at this moment, but I also think about church life as well, how we assume that his presence must be with us. How do we do that? Well, I wrote down five things here. Number one is, sometimes we assume God must be with us because of the number of people who are in the caravan. Surely all these people indicate that God is here amongst us. I mean, I've heard this as a pastor before. People say, well, if that many people are gathering together, then they can't all be wrong. Do you hear that? There are a whole lot of people that are gathering under the auspices of atheism. They're wrong. But here they are in this caravan. I mean, all these people are in the caravan. Surely because of the sheer number of people in the caravan, the presence of God must be here. Where else could he be? The sheer statistical probability is, is that if you've got a thousand people wandering in this caravan, then surely the Lord Jesus is here. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Secondly, we assume that God is with us because we're doing something spiritual. Well, the activity I'm doing is, is spiritual and it's religious. And so I figure if I'm doing something religious or I'm doing something spiritual, God must be. His presence must be involved in it. I, I mean, think about it. They went to the feast of the Passover. They were, they were taking him in all likelihood to his bar mitzvah. They were participating in all of these rituals. Surely if I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing, surely God God's presence is there. And the answer to that one is nope. Well, let's look at number three. The caravan is orderly. I mean, you think about this for just a moment. They're, they're getting all these people back. They've watered the camels. They got them all fed up. You know, they're fed. 
tanked up, and, and, and they're ready to leave on time. And think about this for just a minute. The Joneses get to the caravan to leave on time. And so everybody says the Joneses are never on time, so it must be God. God must be here. And so the caravan is orderly. And, and they begin to head out. And so it must be because it's orderly and everything's organized and we can count on its organization. It must be that God is here as well. And the answer is no. Number four, I wrote down, well, there's a comfort level in the caravan. See, Joseph and Mary trusted their companions, apparently, to make sure that their son was amongst the people traveling in the caravan. They had a comfortability with all the people that were there because they went a day, surely sometime in the day, Mary looked at Joseph or Joseph looked at Mary or somebody looked at them and said, hey, where's your son at Jesus? And I'm sure they had to say, oh, I'm sure he's somewhere back there. I mean, Jesus is an obedient kid. He knows when to be there. And I, 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 can, I can guarantee you he is somewhere in this caravan. And so there was a comfortability in Joseph and Mary's life about this caravan. Can I just share this with you? Some people will not tend to the presence of God like you will. And you can't always count on someone else to tend to his presence like you should tend to his presence. They were comfortable. They were so comfortable they had reached the place of complacency, I believe even. And then finally, number five, the caravan's moving forward. Well, you know, we're all moving forward. We're going the right direction. We're all headed home. Everybody knew what time to be there. We've got a momentum to this thing. And can I just tell you, momentum, I believe, is the great deceiver. Everything in your life can be going forward. Lots of people can be on board. Everything is moving the right direction. You can look at your life and say, well, surely if, if things are going right and I'm moving the right direction and it's orderly and I'm comfortable and everything seems to be going the way it's supposed to be going, surely, surely God must be here. No, he wasn't. And it dawned on me. As I was considering all of these things, and as I was doing, you know, I, I'm not very good at it. I guess guys may not be as, as good at it as the ladies are. I was trying to do some self-evaluation this week. And folks, can I just share this with you? You can be moving forward. You can be doing spiritual stuff. Your life could be relatively in order. You can be enjoying peace and comfort. And all of these things are desirable. I'm here to tell you, I've lived life without peace, and I like peace. And I like order. And, and, and I like to move forward. And so these things are not evil. They are not wrong. They, they have their place in our life. They're good. They're desirable. But you can be walking along and we can just be doing what we do in life. We can just be walking, even being faithful. And as good as faithful is, you might still not have the presence of the Lord in your caravan. R.T. Kendall once wrote, and it's a phrase that I've used on a number of occasions, he said that the worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he is ready. But I started to think about that, and, and I'm going to tweak that just a little bit. I think the worst thing that can happen to a person is for the presence of God to be gone from your life and you not even know it. I mean, you're doing all the right stuff, but His presence is gone now hear me i'm not somebody will come up and say are you talking about salvation i'm not talking about you being saved i'm talking about a sense of god in your life there are people there are people who are saved that live like hell 
What good's your salvation doing if, if your whole life is hell? So I'm not talking about some theological doctrinal issue of when it is you're saved or not saved or all the rest. I'm just talking about a sense of the presence of God. You've lost it and you're just going about life and you don't even know it. You see, the caravan, it's interesting, the caravan's going along and there comes a moment, praise God, that the caravan, that life will eventually stop without his presence. But the question is, how long will you let it go? Before you stop it. Now, the question I have is, how do, you, how do you find his presence again? Well, let me just say, in case I have a Samson in the house. Let me just say that if you're compromised as a believer, if you have rebellion or compromises in your life, whether it be your convictions, whether it be things that you've committed unto the Lord that you've taken back, if, if there are certain compromises in your life, like Samson, let me just share this with you. It's still sin. James 4.17 says, to him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is sin. So we're just not talking about anything and everything that's codified in the Bible. You could have made a commitment to the Lord, and if you backpedal on that commitment, you can rationalize it in your mind by saying, well, you know what, it's really not codified in the Word. I was probably emotionally distraught when I made the commitment. Hey, listen, if you know what's right and you're not doing it, the Bible says it's sin. It's sin. And sin is an alienator in a relationship. And so anytime sin enters into the equation, you're instantly putting yourself at alienation with the presence of the Lord. Now again, I understand the blood. I understand the difference between imparted righteousness, imputed righteousness. I get it. I get all the, 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 the doctrinal concepts of regeneration, justification, adoption. I get all of that. I'm not talking about where you may go for eternity. I'm talking about where you're at right now. And, and when sin enters into the equation, God's presence is instantly alienated. Because it's not in the light, it's not under the blood, it's not been repented from, you've not confessed it and come clean. I mean, God will wash you clean. Do you understand that the reason He loves to wash people clean is because He wants a relationship with them. He, now listen to me, He wants a living, now, powerful sense of His presence in people's lives. I've walked with God for over 30 plus years now, and I'll just tell you up front, there have been moments I've walked by faith, I didn't feel like he was with me. I didn't get goosebumps. I wasn't necessarily heightened in my awareness. But there have been moments that, that I have sensed the presence of God. And you knew he was in the room. And you knew he was working in your life and talking to you. And much like the silly video we showed you before this message got started, it was as if the Holy Spirit was right there and you knew his presence was close to you. But there can come a moment when all of a sudden he's gone, but we just keep doing life. And we don't even know it. And sometimes it's because we've got Samson issues and we've got to come to the cross, get it under the blood. Make it right. But for others, and these are the ones I really want to talk to you today, because probably for a lot of you, this is where you're going to fit. We're talking about Mary and Joseph, people. You, you want to be obedient. You desire to be obedient. You, you're doing what you know to do. You're, you're, you're trying to stay on track. You're, you're, you're wanting God to be involved in your life. And all of a sudden, just like them, you look around, and where is he? Where is he? Well, I want to share with you just a couple things here, and it won't be long, and 
And then I want you at the end, we're going to just join together and just seek God's presence today. Wouldn't that be good if his presence were to come powerfully to you today? Wouldn't it be cool today if, if all of a sudden something happened in you and you just, you just were enlivened to the moment where you recover a sense of his presence, maybe like, like you once had it. But maybe it's not there like it was. I don't know. But, but consider these things about finding his presence again. Number one, the first thing you have to do is you've got to recognize that his presence is no longer there. Have you stopped long enough to consider is the presence of God here? You have to be like Mary and Joseph when they said, I've lost him. He's not here. We were doing everything we knew to do. This was the next part of life. And I'm looking around and all of a sudden he's not here. Now, for those of you who may be a lot like me that are less introspective, because some of you are very introspective and, and you would know instantly if the presence of God had diminished in your life. But there are some of us, you know, we, for some of us, we'd have made it clean back to Nazareth before we'd have figured it out. But thank God they were just a day's journey and they come to this awareness that the presence of God is not in their caravan. And the question is, how do I know? How do I know whether or not I've, I've let the presence, the tangible, manifest presence of God slip from my life? I'm going to give you just a couple things, and there's more, I'm sure, but write these down. If you've lost your peace, hear me, if you've lost your peace, Jesus, the presence of Jesus, he is the prince of what? Yeah. Isn't it amazing when his presence comes around how everything is just peaceful? I mean, you could be in the middle of the most tumultuous time period of your life, but if the presence of God is there, and some of you know this to be true, you walked in here this morning, and you were facing some really significant challenges in your life. We all do. Nothing evil about facing challenge and difficulty, trial, temptations, tribulations. And you came into this house facing all of these things, and, and you have a sense of upheaval going on in your life. But just by worshiping God, just through the first 20, 25 minutes of this service, you're worshiping God, and His presence begins to move in the midst of His people, and all of a sudden, you get your what back? Peace. You get peace back. If you've lost your peace, you may have lost the presence of the Prince of Peace. See, I was doing a little introspection, and I'm like probably the normal person, believe it or not, and there are moments that you can enter into anxiety. There are things in your life that cause you to worry about what's going to happen, what possibly could happen. There are fears that can begin to, to, to weigh upon you. Listen, that's why the Bible says, God hath not given us a spirit of fear but a power and of love and of a sound mind. When his presence is in your life, that manifest presence, it begins to push these things away. It's interesting, as I was reading about Joseph and Mary here, I just started looking at how they were responding in this whole thing. And, and I looked here at verse uh, 48, and it says here, when they look at Jesus, can you imagine this? Of course we could, because if it was our child, we'd say the same thing, but you know, this is Jesus. It says here, son, why have you done this to us? Isn't it interesting? They're self-consumed. You've blown our schedule. You've blown what we're up to. You've blown what we're desiring to do. And they're irritable about it. He said, they say, your father and I have sought you anxiously. They're annoyed at Jesus. And if you're functioning out of irritability and annoyance, and I've been known to be that on occasion, 
And when those things begin to chronically show up in your life, I mean, we all get annoyed on occasion. I mean, I think even God gets annoyed on occasion. But when we're chronic in those areas, let me tell you something. The presence of God is evaporating. There's confusion. I believe confusion can be an indicator of loss of his presence. How about anger? Anger can be another indicator. Defensiveness. How about panic? Frantic? Rushing? There are indicators that are probably going on in your life right now that are trying to speak to you and say to you, where is God's presence at this particular moment? Now, I I get it. Theologically, God is with you no matter where you go. The psalmist said, where can I go that God is not there? And that is true. God is is doctrinally doctrinally or theologically with you no matter where you go. But truth of the matter is, his manifest presence does not always show up wherever you are. God is here. In our midst. But, but you can be in church where God is and you can be filled with all of these things and there's no sense of His presence. And when there's no sense of His presence, it becomes very, very tough. Secondly, as I was reading this, it began to dawn on me that it was easier to lose His presence than find it. It took a day to lose Him and it took three days to recover Him. That means that we ought to be tending to his presence a little more carefully, shouldn't we? You see, you can't presume on his presence. You need to tend to what he delights in. That's why I've said oftentimes, we're not, we're not philosophically a seeker-sensitive church. We're a presence-sensitive church. You see, we've got we've to tend to the presence of God because you can lose him quickly and then you've got to somehow go back and find him. And Mary and Joseph took a day to lose him, but it took at least a day's journey back and another three days to try to find him. And so realize it's easier to lose than to find. Number three, I, I think it's important to understand that to get the presence of God back into your life and and even into the church, your pursuit will cost you something. I started to think about the story, again, Mary and Joseph, to recover their son, the presence of the Lord. They had to go, of course, they had to turn around and go a day's journey back to Jerusalem. That meant the cost of time there and back. You had to refeed and rewater your camels. You had to go get a hotel room for another few days. You had to take some time off work, more time out of the carpentry shop. You had to eat out another three or four days at the restaurants there in Jerusalem. And you think about that, what cost was entailed in order for them to turn around and go back. And there's something in my mind that just tells me Joseph worked under a budget. I mean, it's just something in me that said he had a budget. And I could see him all of a sudden finding out that Jesus was not there, and he looks and he says, the budget's been blown. But what do you do? You just can't leave him there in Jerusalem. There's no amber alert. I mean, you can't do this. And so it cost them something. Pursuing the presence of God, folks, costs us something. The presence of God is free, but it's not cheap. It will cost, listen to me, it's going to cost us our pride. You have to admit He's not there. Pride. It'll cost your worship. What is God drawn to? Our worship. It'll cost your intercession. It'll cost you your time, your devotion, your study, your tears, your hobbies, your priorities. If you want the presence of God in your life, it's going to cost you something. 
Pursuit always costs something. See, we live in America where we have everything on wheels. You can get meals on wheels. You can get your car detailed and washed on wheels. Isn't that true? You can get groceries delivered to your front door on wheels. They'll change your oil in your driveway. They'll just come right to everybody. They'll just come right to you. Change your windshield. We had a windshield that needed changed out on one of the vehicles. And they'll just, you don't have to drive to the shop anymore. They'll come right to you. And that's kind of America's concept. And, and God isn't coming just when you think he needs to show up for you. There are times you need to pay the price to get back to where it is. God wants you to be. It's going to cost you something. He talks about that he, he wants to be sought with, 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 you know, things that are priceless. He said, come and buy from me. There's a cost to these things. Number four, which fits along with it, return to the place you lost him. The issue with Mary and Joseph was they got ahead of God. And this is one of the interesting things about the presence of God. The key to his presence is you cannot drag your feet with him, nor can you get ahead of his timing. God doesn't want laggers, and he doesn't want those that are way off ahead of him. You've got to be right in the center of what God is doing. And in the story, they return to this geographical location. But for us, I I believe it's deeper than geography. They had to return to the house of God. They had to get to the temple. That's where he was ultimately found, which was interesting because it took them three days, it says, to find him. And I just wonder why they didn't just show right back up at the house of God. But it's amazing how people, even righteous people, will go check everything else out thinking they'll find his presence somewhere else if they would just only get back to the house of God. That's an amen. I'll tell you where God shows up. He shows up in his house. And so they return to the house of God where they last practiced their faith, where they last sensed the presence of God. And some of you today might even say, well, you know, Pastor, I feel like, you know, as you're just sharing these things, that I've sort of lost that sense of his presence. I mean, I can remember back to a day when maybe it was when you were first born again. And you know how many of us, when we got born again, I mean, we were just crazy. God just met us, he saved us, he transformed us, and I mean we got up off an altar or we got done praying the prayer and something had changed inside of us. The old man was gone, the new man showed up, and I mean everywhere we went there was just this sense of God's presence. Everywhere we looked we could see his activity. But then as time goes on, and sometimes as the years begin to just accrue, something happens to us. I mean, there was joy and there was hope and there was peace. And do you understand the reason those things are there when like you're first born again is because his presence is there. But all of a sudden we walk and we get back to our daily routines and we get familiar with everything and we're just doing it because we're supposed to do it. And it's not that we hate God or we've renounced him or we, you know, it's not that we've just turned evil or something like that, but we've just got into this routine until someone finally declares the elephant in the room or the camel in the room and says do you still sense his presence and i've heard people say well no as you mature and as you go on things change and god works differently and some of that is true but let me tell you some of that is not true That there is a place in the presence of god that we need to continually yearn for and seek after 
And some of you know there was a time when you had God's presence on your life and, and it was like you were invincible. It was like the song we sang. You were unshakable. You were unstoppable. Because His presence was, was there with you, but now you're like a reed in the wind and things blow you over easy and, and you get angry and, and you're confused and, and we never stop and say to ourselves, is God here or not? And Mary and Joseph had to go back to the place that they initially lost Him. Now, let me just suggest to you that maybe, maybe we as believers and we as the church need to go back to some things to get His presence again. Listen, God's not calling us to get the latest technology. He's calling us to go back to intercession and to praying and to shedding our tears and to crying out for Him. His presence doesn't come because we shift the lighting. His presence comes because we've interceded and we've opened up the heavens. Church has to get back to these things. It's time to redig some of the ancient wells. Let me tell you, his presence doesn't come just because you've got a group, and I'm grateful for skill. Don't misunderstand me. We want skilled worshipers. Don't misunderstand me. But just because you run the riff, hit the licks, and get it all right, he does not have to come. We gotta get back to true worship. Maybe that's where we gotta go back to. Are you following me? I mean, I can remember a day in I was in Managua, Nicaragua, outside of town. And they had, bless his heart, there was this kid on a keyboard. That's all they had was a keyboard. And, you know, then they had the one lady who was running around with her tambourine. You know, there's always the one with the tambourine that... And she couldn't keep beat and he couldn't keep beat. And, yeah, he played like two chords on the, on the synthesizer. And we sang, about, we sang about ten songs and they were all the same two chords. And this is, this is how it went. Rush on the city, they run on the wall. Yeah, that's how we do it. Or we bring the sacrifice, you know. And of course, we're making the, 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 we're filling in the note sounds with our voices, but he's just doing those two things, man. I mean, he's wailing away on it. I mean, he's, and he's got his leg out here like Elvis, you know. He's, I mean, he's, He's into this thing. And it, oh, it was, I was just, I was sitting there going, oh, and I, cause I'm a musician and I'm just going, oh, this is killing me. This is killing me. Oh, oh, my Lord, just at least turn him down or something. But God came. And it was like the Lord said there. Maybe it's time you got back. To where you needed to be. Now, this, I'm not making an apology for people who can't play instruments. I've had that through the years. I've had people say, well, I can't play very well, but, it, you know, God looks at the heart. Well, I know, but I, I look at the chord chart. I understand he looks at the heart. But, you know, David did get skilled musicians, the Bible says. I'm just saying that maybe he was the most skilled they had. They, I, I, evidently, he was. But they had a heart to worship God. And maybe it's time we got back to real worship because God's not coming for our entertainment. You got to get back to the place. You wonder where God is? Well, when was the last time you raised your hands up to him, maybe? You say, well, I'm not comfortable with that. Well, was there ever a day you did it and now all of a sudden you don't want to do it? Maybe you need to get back to it. Maybe it's time we got back to the place where we were in love with God and we just didn't care and, and, and maybe his presence will begin to come again. For some, we've got to get back to the place of faithfulness. 
We got to get back to the place of broken vows and broken commitments. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm of a prophetic nature, and I understand in the prophetic nature that, that there's always the pressing through to new arenas. There's always the cutting edge. There's always the, the moving forward, and that's my nature. I, I, I tend to always want to be moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, and, and, and that's not bad, but it has to be tempered with the understanding that when we move forward, we're not, we're not leaving the presence of God behind. Moses said, when God said, I'll let you go into the promised land, and I'll just, I'm just going to give you everything. I'm going to give you all your promises. I'm going to let you guys just have, because he's a covenant-keeping God. It's a great story in Exodus 33. The Lord looks at Moses and says, listen, I'm done with you guys. I'm done with your ways. I'm done with your negativity. I'm done with just, you're, just, you're, you're irritating me. And God says, I, I made a promise, and I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to let you guys have your promised land. You just go ahead and go on in. But this is what the Lord says. You can read it, Exodus 33. But the Lord says, I don't have to go with you. Now think about that. You can get your promise. And you can get your blessing. And you can get your money. And you can get whatever it is you want to get. And I believe God has done this to his church at some levels. He said, I'm going to give you your promise. But that don't mean I have to hang around it. And Moses was smart enough to say this. He said, Lord, I'm not moving anywhere. Unless you go with me. And I know all of us like, go forward, go forward, get the next thing, get the promotion, get the job, get the next season, get the next open door. But folks, we can't get the next thing and leave him out of the equation. And sometimes we've got to stop going forward just so we can go back and say, I'm with you. Because your caravan can look great, but if it's not where God's at, it's not doing the right thing. And so we've got to go back and we've got to redig some things with regards to intercession and redig some things. I think that's why I'm a preacher. I mean, I'm kind of a preacher teacher, but I'm mostly a preacher and I yell a lot. Because I'm not up here to give you a little 20 minute daily devotional and saying, you can do it. Well, that's good, but no, you can't do it without his presence. And sometimes we, gotta, we just got to holler our way into that. See, that's just me. But we got to go back, and some of you, you've got to go back and pick up where you left him. It's praying like you used to pray, and worshiping like you used to worship, and doing your devotions every morning, and you're thinking somehow God switched the rules, or He switched the, he switched the ways in which He's to be honored and entered into. Folks, you see this in churches all the time, and I know I, know I irritate people with what I'm about ready to say. So here, just say to yourself right now, I'm going to dial down my irritation sensitivity button. Okay, everybody dialing down. Dial down your offense button. Because I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm going to offend somebody right now. So dial it down. Listen. I may help you. Just dial it down. Listen. There are Methodists that need to go back and capture what Wesley had. Following me. I'm just telling you, there are Presbyterians that got to go back and get what Whitfield had. Now listen. There are Charismatics and Pentecostals they got to go back to Azusa. A cruddy old barn. Wood floors. One beat up old organ. 
William Seymour, who had an eye plucked out, black man, preaching, preaching the gospel, but God showed up. We got to get back to realizing that these are things are blessings. Everything we've got is a blessing. I am so glad the air conditioner is working this morning. I, I am just, you cannot imagine how glad I am. But I'm telling you, they didn't have, they didn't have 1% of what we have. But they had God on their lives. I am for the present moving of God. But God isn't catching up with us. We have to hunger and we have to thirst and we have to seek after him. And then lastly, number five, you need to remember that not everyone's going to go back. Not everyone appreciated what Mary and Joseph had lost. In fact, as best I can tell, the caravan went on. It was Mary and Joseph that had to go back. Not everyone, not everyone in the caravan thought it was that big of a deal to turn it around and go back to Jerusalem. They, they decided they were just going to go on with their agenda. That's something Mary and Joseph needed to do. And the rest of them decided to keep going forward, but those two decided to go back. And hear me, you've got to decide in your life whether or not you're going to go find his presence again or whether you're just going to keep marching with your caravan. Not everybody's going to turn around. They're going to think you've lost your mind. Not everyone's going to make the same choices you and I may make in order to solicit the presence of God. But knowing that, they were the only ones that found it. I was doing, like I said, some introspection this week. And I was looking at my life and, and I was trying, I was really trying hard to evaluate. And it's really hard sometimes because you're always cutting yourself slack. And so as you look at your life and you're, you're trying not to cut yourself slack. You're trying to honestly look at your life. And as I was trying to evaluate my life and looking over the long haul, you know, I could see moments of, of great, great passion and, and great pursuit. I could see moments of probably some apathy and lethargy. I could see some moments of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, just crazy love for the Lord. And, and then there were some moments that, you know, it was probably a cooler season. And don't misunderstand there was no egregious avert sinning going on. Are you following me? I mean, I mean, you're still moving forward. You're still doing the things of the Lord. Still preaching the gospel. Still doing everything that's in front of me. Still setting goals. Casting vision. Still pastoring a church. Praying with people. Still going forward. Doing everything that was in front of me. Listen, I'm just, I'm just being honest. There, that You can be doing everything you know to do. And so I'm evaluating my life. I'm thinking about all of these things. And I remember, I just, I just remember a couple of moments that I want to share with you. And some of you have heard these stories and just bear with me. Some of you have not. But I can remember back, back in 19, it started in 1986. When for me, I had exhausted myself. I was probably entering into what would have been described as a clinical depression. Nobody knew about it in the church. The only person that knew about it uh, was my wife. Uh, you know, it was just, it was terrible. It was, it was, it was tough. We're pastoring in a tough location. Uh, we, we, we obviously had some spiritual warfare going on. There was a lot of natural, just, just critical, nasty people were around as well. Of course, that's spiritual warfare to be candid with you as well. 
But, but there was a clinical depression coming over me and darkness was encompassing me. And, and there was a season that I would go upstairs to the highest level in the parsonage and I would sit. I would sit in the chair in the dark, the rocking chair, and I would just rock myself with the lights out. And I, and I think it was just a way to hide. And I can remember my wife looking at me and she has been so good at this all through the years. You know, and I'm sure she would be the first one and has on occasion to stand up and, and share where she has had shortcomings and other things. But I can tell you this, she, she has been a godsend to me in, in, in as much as she has been able to at times look me in the eye and, and just say, you know, it, you, you must arise. And that was one of those times she said, you must arise. We, we must arise. We, we've got to find We've got to find where the Lord is. And it was from 86 to 89. It didn't happen overnight, folks. It started in 1986 and it it went for three years. Three years we were on this pursuit of God's presence. And we'd watch certain things that would happen on TV and it would whet our appetite. And we would read certain accounts and that would whet our appetite. And it was as if God was giving us just enough to keep us pursuing And we were pursuing until the day finally came when we had a a meeting with a guy by the name of David Kitely at Shiloh Christian Fellowship in Oakland, California. His mom was Viola Kitely, who was one of the one of the original people or, or, or one of the original names in the latter rain movement. And before those of you that are historical buffs come up to me and say, well, you know, the latter rain was declared heresy by so and so. Listen, I am tired of people declaring the life of God heresy. I've been called a cult before. Amen. And you know what? Paul was called a cult. Don't you be slapping heresy just so you make your death feel better. I mean, there are a lot of Orthodox churches out there that God hadn't showed up in years, decades, probably centuries. But I remember being there with David Kitely and and they prayed for us and we'd been interacting with them. And for the first time, God's presence came back. Now, was I still saved? Well, I hope so. I believe I was. But I needed that tangible, palatable presence of God back in my life again. I had to get the peace of God, the joy of God, the optimism of God back in my life again. And in 1989, it was a good thing that happened, wasn't it, honey? Because that's when her dad had an automobile accident. That was when all of a sudden the whole family went kilter and we had to pick up and move across the country. And I'm here to tell you, if it had not been for my conviction that the presence of God would sustain us, I'd have pitched it in. And we kept doing that and kept pursuing until finally God, you know, opened up doors and ministered there in Spartanburg. And then he'd open up other doors and come to here uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. And many of you know this story. You know the story of how Pastor Baird had pastored here in this area, and, and we were at a church, and the church had growth, and, and, and really it was significant growth, notable growth, and things were happening, and all the cylinders were popping, and we were moving forward, the caravan was going the right direction, I was still preaching, people were still praying, we were doing everything that was right, but let me tell you, something internally had gotten dry again. And I remember the day that Tracy and I were at a, at a breakfast table and we were looking at each other and it was dry and it was tough and there were challenges and there were people issues and all sorts of things were going on. And I'll never forget that Tracy and I looked at each other one day and these were the words that we said to each other. What have we become? 
You say, well, what do you mean by that? What I mean is, is that there was a moment that it dawned on us that who we were at this moment, now we weren't sinning. Hear me, we weren't sinning. It wasn't like she'd run out on me or I'd run out on her. I wasn't, I wasn't addicted to some drug or alcohol. I wasn't, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't undermining my marriage relationship or anything else in my life. I'm not talking about just overt sin. I'm just saying we had become something that we, some time ago, were not. We, 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 we had lost that presence of God. And it dawned, it dawned on us at that moment that all the sacrifices and all the pursuit and all the hunger and all the thirst, if, 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 if we wanted the presence of God, we were, we were going to have to go back to the place. And literally we had to. We had to go back to the place where we'd lost that sense of His presence in order to begin to press forward again. There are people in the earth right now, their caravan is going so good that they would never even stop to consider whether God was in their caravan or not. There are folks probably here this morning, your life's pretty good. I mean, it's easy if your life's falling apart. I found that to be true. If life is falling apart and you give an invitation for the presence of God, people will respond because they're so sick of the pain and the upheaval and the tumultuous moment. I mean, I mean they'll go, yeah, I need anything just to get some... Some, some stability and sensibility back in my life. But you know who the hardest folks to talk to are the ones whose bank accounts are okay and their bills are getting paid. And sometimes, you know, they're the ones that they're at church every Sunday and they're coming every Wednesday and maybe they're doing connect group. And, and you know, their character's pretty good and, and, and they've got a relatively good testimony at work. They're not bad people. They're good people. Nobody's hammering you. You're doing the good stuff. But the problem is you need to call time out to your caravan and ask yourself, is God here or not? And that's what Legacy's doing this morning. I'm the pastor, so I get to call time out. And say, you know what? We do a lot of great things. We've done 20 encounters. We've done all sorts of discipling classes. We teach and preach. We send out messages to the nations. We let people access on iTunes. We've got people coming to Connect Group. We'll help people that are, that are facing a difficult moment. I mean, all the things the church does. Our caravan. Isn't that good that our caravan's going good? But the question still is, time out. Is God in the caravan? Well, you know what? I want God in this caravan. And so if you ever wonder, why do you pray before service gets started? It's because it's prayer that'll bring the presence of God back to his house. Why do you open the church up on Tuesday mornings and, and Wednesdays at noon to pray? It's because if we don't pray, see, we've got to get back to what opens the church. A snappy, a snappy service just isn't going to... You may get people in the seats, but let me tell you something. That's just the caravan going the right direction. Is God in the place? Is God in the place? And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go very far unless God's in the place. Unless I sense the presence of God. And this is the good news. This morning, I was, I was sensing the presence of God. I was sensing, I was sensing the tears being, being renewed on my face again. God wants to do that. See, He's not trying to push us away. He's doing His best to woo us back. And, and it doesn't start with just an organization. It starts with 
you and your life and what's going on in your life. And, and when you go to work tomorrow morning, do you need the presence of God? When you go back to school, young people, I'm telling you, is the Holy Ghost going to be at your locker like he was at that? Or does all of a sudden that doesn't, doesn't matter? And the question is this, do you even care? I care. I care so much. Because I know when I find that place that everything else finds its place. When you find that place, everything that you thought was such a big deal will suddenly evaporate. Because you'll, you'll just have His presence. His presence fulfills everything. His presence. Spirit of God, I just so want Your presence to be here today. I so want You to, to be pleased with what we do. I'm quite sure. Holy Spirit, I'm quite sure that we stumble bumble around. I'm quite sure when you look at me, that is probably quite true. We try to give you our best. Do everything we know to do to give you our very best. But Lord, we want you to know that we can do our very best, but if we don't have you, well, all it is is a show, a ritual. So Holy Spirit, this morning, we just want to set aside just a Sunday. We perhaps should do this every week, but I, I, I want to at least be overt this morning to say, I want, I desire, I hunger, I thirst for your presence to come. Would you give us, Lord, the simplicity of your presence that was there? Maybe the moment we said, I do to you. Would you renew your presence in us like you did the moment perhaps we cried out and said, fill us with Fill us with yourself. Fill us with your spirit. And you came in such a marvelous, magnificent way. And somewhere in our journey, somewhere in this caravan, Lord, we've lost that sense of your presence and we're awakening to that. And Lord, maybe everyone in the caravan won't turn around, but Lord, I'm turning around. I'm going back to the place where I can start and pick up and go forward. Listen to me, folks, listen to me. Even as I'm praying right now, listen to me. If you would say right now, you know what? His presence in my life isn't like it was or perhaps like I needed to be. Listen to me. And you would say, but I don't know exactly where I lost it. Then here's what I would suggest for you to do. Why don't you just repent and recognize that he's not where he has been and say, Lord, I don't know where I got off the beaten path. I don't know where we parted company. I don't know. I, I want to know and, and reveal it to me and I'll be sure to go back and clean it up. But Lord, I just tell you right now, whatever it is you need me to do, wherever it is you need me to go, wherever it is that I need to be found, Lord, speak and you'll find me there. And God will work and move and race towards you in the simplicity of that moment. I want everyone to stand to stand in his presence Holy Spirit you're here and you're speaking to some of us today in a brand new way I believe there are folks here that had such a vibrant relationship with you it was a beautiful thing but for some reason and, and I don't know all the reasons but somehow some way they lost that sense of your presence it wasn't that you moved maybe they moved Lord, I want them, I want them to know the joy again. I want them to have the peace again. 
I want them to have that sense of fulfillment and contentment again. Lord, I just want people to be just so consumed with you. That's all they'll need. It doesn't matter if they live if they live in public housing or if you let them live in the most expensive homes on Kiowa. It won't matter because it's just you. We have found our satisfaction in the presence of God. Lord, let them be honest enough today just to do that introspection. It was David who said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. It was David who said, He said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Isn't that interesting? He, he, didn't, he didn't say anything about, whoa, 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 let's keep the kingdom in the family somehow. He didn't say that. Now maybe he thought it, I don't know. But the words out of his mouth, according to Psalm 51, were this. Of all the things I might lose, I don't want to lose your presence. I, you know, I can lose everything in life. I don't want to lose anything. But if I keep his presence, then I've got everything. Some of you are scrambling to keep a job. You're scrambling to keep a relationship. You're scrambling here, there, and everywhere. Your life is busy scrambling around. I'm telling you, get back in his presence. And it'll all get sorted out. Holy Spirit, I want you. I desire you. Restore to each one of us. Restore to me. That sense of your presence. Yes, restore to us, Yes, and this is there. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my.
way back. Some of you right now, maybe you want to join these that have come. You're just waiting for me to say it's okay. Why don't you just use this moment and get your way back to His presence? Come on, He's not against you. He wants to show up in your life. Come on, get His presence back again. Before we go this morning. Presence, Lord. I need your presence. Oh, I need your presence, oh God. I need your presence, oh God. I need your presence. I need your presence, oh God. Come on, we're waiting just for a moment in His presence. Just for a moment in His presence. And I'm desperate for you. you go? How far can you walk? How long will your caravan go forward before you look around and you say, oh 